You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Take uh, communion. Psalm 70, for the director of music of David, a petition. Hasten, O God, to save me. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. May those who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, aha, aha, turn back because of their shame. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, the Lord is great. But as for me, I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, Lord Do not delay. If you use Facebook um, right now, you'll probably be getting a a thing that comes up that says, this is your year, and Facebook tells you what your year is. And I always find it quite interesting uh, what Facebook picks up for your year, and they ask you to share it with others. I haven't shared mine. Um, But it's fascinating looking back and you say, oh, yeah, okay, that, and then there's that, and then there's that. And, and you remember these things. It's amazing how quickly we forget things. And it's amazing how things change very quickly. But as we uh, are here this final Sunday of the year, I want us just to reflect a little bit in the words of this psalm about what we face and what's happening in our culture, what's happening in our lives, and what Christ has done for us. The psalm itself is a much shorter version of Psalm 69. Uh, We looked at that uh, the last time we had communion. Also Psalm 40 verses 13 to 17. It's just, this is Psalm 40 verses 13 to 17 with only one or two changes, which suggests that it is a prayer that was memorized. Now, um, Some of us in our Christian lives find prayer very difficult. I think personally it's a really good idea to read uh, books on prayer to help us with prayer. One of the questions I was asked earlier in the year from somebody who'd just become a Christian was, I don't know how to pray and I don't really want to go to house group because what can I say in in, in prayer? I was reminded of Neil McMillan in Kirkcaldy when there was uh, a young man, well, yeah, middle-aged man who was converted from a completely non-church background. And uh, in those days, uh, Neil asked people to pray, and it was just men. So there was virtually no men, so he asked him to pray. And uh, the guy stood up and he said, Father, thank you for our minister and for the Pope and for Mother Teresa. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) And that was his prayer. (laughs) It was lovely. I I thought it was lovely, actually, because he just just prayed for what, you know. But we move, don't we? We develop, we grow in in prayer. And I have to say that um, this year I was helped more than any other book I've ever read. I'm sorry to mention his name, Tim Keller's uh, book on prayer. It's the most astonishing book for me. And one of the things was very simple. He, he just, he, he, he explained it and, look, and he says, why don't you do this? And I've done it ever since I've read the book. Every single day, the pattern of my prayer is just simple. 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And it's not even just that you say the Lord's Prayer, but you take each petition and there's different things that you pray for and it puts it in order. Also, I use um, the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, which I absolutely love. I find it really helpful to have that. And then um, Keller himself has just come out with a, uh, a book of daily devotions on the Psalms. And for the past 20 years, he and his wife have read through the whole book of Psalms every month. Um, and the Psalms are just wonderful things to help in, in, in prayer. And I think this psalm indicates that because it is a, a recitation of Psalm 40. And I think it is a very good idea for us to memorize prayers. Again, um, at Christmas time, you hear music that you wouldn't hear at any other time. And I'm not talking about the really great stuff, you know, like Bach's Christmas Oratorio, just for you culture vultures. It's really worth it. But I'm talking about, you know, wizard or whatever. I wish it could be Christmas every day. And none of you, I hope, ever listen to that. But it doesn't matter. As soon as it comes on, you know every single word. Why? Because you learned it when you were young or middle-aged even. And there's things, you know, they just stick in your head. And that's why I think it's really important. Just one of the things uh, for our children is to memorize and to learn scripture and to, to know it. And that helps us in our prayers because we are in a culture which is what I would call Google. It's instant fix. I was told to look up the meaning of a word yesterday. Someone said, why don't you Google it? And I've gone, no, I, I used a thing called a dictionary. And I like to read, you know, in context. But we live in this very, very instant world. And we need to, ourselves, and, and our younger people as well, our children, we need to teach them to store up with, within themselves not just uh, a computer, if you like, but scripture. Because one day it w- won't work. But in your mind and in your memory, you will have scripture. And that is what the psalmist has. Now, he begins by asking God to save him. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. We do that if we're in particular trouble. But I think one of the problems that we have in the church in Scotland today is a lack of urgency in prayer. Here, the psalmist is under pressure and he blurts out what he really thinks. Uh, and sometimes I think we're more inclined to do that when we are under pressure. I think we are in a situation, um, let me just say collectively, first of all, and then uh, ask you, if you like, individually. I think we're in a situation in Scotland where the church is under phenomenal pressure and when there are phenomenal cultural changes that are occurring, that are occurring throughout the Western world. There are, I think a lot of people haven't seen or understood or grasped what issues like same-sex marriage and so on really mean. People think, well, that's just a kind of a side issue. It's not really that important. But what's happened is that we have, and this is, let's go back even further than that. Let's go back and think about how uh, the divorce laws were, were loosened more. 
Think about the change in the removal of uh, sex from the, the idea of children into just being something that's almost inconsequential in terms of that. From the 1960s, the 1970s, 1980s, 1990s, and so on, right up to the current day, what's happening in our culture is a mass rejection of the word of God, a mass rejection of what the Bible teaches, not just about God, but about human beings. And so if I had stood here a year ago and said, in the coming year, we're going to end up at the end of the year with Facebook saying there are 26 different genders, or children, or uh, sorry, government putting out adverts to try and uh, bribe teachers paying 30,000 pounds a year to come in and to teach transgender, gender fluidity they call it. And then it gets even worse than that, and I won't even go into this, but trans um, human. The idea of, of mixing uh, different parts. It's, it's a remaking of humanity. It's a remaking of society and a remaking of humanity. And in some ways, it's going to get a lot, lot worse. There's enormous pressure on the church in the general culture. But there's enormous pressure that many of us feel uh, particularly sometimes It's situations we face at home, situations in the church, situations at work, situations with friends. What can we do? Like David, we cry that the Lord would come quickly to help us and to save us. Then verse 2, may those who want to take my life be put to shame and confusion. May all who desire my ruin be turned back in disgrace. May those who say to me, oh, ha, ha, ha turn back because of their shame. Do we pray about the enemies of the gospel? I sometimes think that our prayers lack urgency and lack depth because their religious duties, they're kind of peripheral things. And maybe as well, into our Christianity has crept something that thinks to pray against the enemies of the gospel is somehow unchristian, which is incredibly ironic. This book, the book of Psalms, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, is the book of the prayers of Jesus, the prayers that he would say. Now, there's an attitude of forgiveness that we must have. But the Christian is not somebody, this is where we differ very much from Islam. The Christian is not someone who can turn around and use force and uh, be bitter against those who oppose us, but we can pray and we must pray. I've seen uh, some amazing answers to prayer in that regard. When people seek to accuse us, what David is asking is that they would be turned back in disgrace that they would be the ones who would be ashamed. He's saying, here's the irony, when David's faced with his enemies, maybe the worst enemies we get faced with are within ourselves, but when David is faced with his enemies, what he does is very interesting. He argues that it's for God to bring him low, 
not his enemies. Micah 7 verse 8, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. I want to say something about this, this idea of shame because it's not a word that we use a lot and I'm not very sure as a culture where we're at in how it gets used. Um, I, I guess we have our own version of it. Um, there was a, an instance this year of the boxer who expressed himself. I think he said some things that were wrong and unwise, and I think other things he said that were spot on. But they certainly weren't um, the culture and the zeitgeist of the time. And what I found most interesting was not the fact that they tried to ban him so much as the fact that they tried to shame him, to make him ashamed. And we live in a culture which is supposed to be a non-judgmental culture, but people do try and shame us all the time. I wonder if in your work situation, you're ever attempted to be ashamed of Jesus and his people. The kind of mocking caricature, do you really believe that? Do you really think that? What kind, with the implication behind it being of what kind of horrible person are you? Jesus says that if we're ashamed of him and his words, then he will be ashamed of us. I do fear that sometimes we give in too much to the pressure of the culture. When instead, maybe we shouldn't be standing and shouting and yelling at people. In fact, I'm certain we shouldn't. Maybe we shouldn't be aggressive to people. But what we should do is go and pray, Lord, turn them back. Don't let them mock you. There are many times that I listen to the radio uh, or watch something on the internet or television and I think, what a blasphemy, what a mockery. And there's no point marching down the street with a banner saying, down with that sort of thing. But there is every point in going and praying as David said, may they turn back because of their shame. Sometimes in our lives, some of you may have not faced much of this opposition. Some of you will have. But it's my belief that the more we seek to be faithful to Christ in this coming year, the more the opposition will be fierce. And what disappoints me is the number of Christians, and I'm including evangelical Christians in this, who look at some Christians who kind of are struggling with opposition and say, well, they must deserve it because... You know, they, they must have been rude or something. And the fact is, as our culture moves more and more away from the word of God, there's going to be a reaction against those who seek to proclaim the word of God. Even those who are doing what the culture would recognize as good work. I think of Ewan Gurr with the Trussell Trust. This year, he had enormous trouble because they advertised for a Christian to run the food bank in Dundee. And he was accused of loads of things. And the, some of the stuff was vicious. Well, why is it wrong to ask? He said, we need a Christian because we ask our food bank manager to lead prayers and to speak in churches. And we don't want someone to be hypocritical. 
But nonetheless, he was accused of discrimination and there was stuff brought up from his past and so on, which was horrible, really, really horrible. Calvin says this, we must maintain it as a fixed principle that the more unjustly our enemies afflict us and the more cruelly they wrong us, God is so much the more disposed to give us help. I think that's a great truth that David here recognizes. May they be ashamed. May they be confused. May they be turned back. I want to encourage you to pray that the enemies of the gospel would be defeated. That they would be converted, absolutely. But that they would be ashamed of their conduct. That they would be turned back. And that God would take some of the most horrible things and turn them around. I mentioned two examples, and forgive me for being personal. One for me this year was utterly amazing. A journalist who saw some abuse about me and um, wrote me and said, I'd like to come and do an interview. And I was very, very, very suspicious. I'm sorry if any of you are journalists, but I trust not any man, and especially a journalist uh, or a lawyer. But that's another issue. (laughs) No, no, that's really unfair. But um, I, I met with this journalist, and without breaking any confidence, we, we had a full uh, interview and discussion. And what I had thought would be a damage limitation exercise preventing him printing a harmful story about the church turned out to be the very opposite, because he was seeking and he was looking. And maybe, maybe people fed him stuff seeking to cause harm. But God turned it around and used it for good. And then just at the end of the year, in fact, this past week, I uh, got a barrage of various things that weren't particularly nice. But in the midst of them uh, was a radio producer who passed on something. Uh, Somebody who wrote and said, uh, I started the year as an atheist agnostic and I listened to your program, I listened to um, William Lane Craig and David Robertson and so on, and he said something that some of you may well agree with. He said, I found David Robertson to be really annoying. He made me really angry. And in fact, he said, but it was his very tone that changed me. And then he went on to say, this is an extraordinary thing for me to receive. He said, I was so angry at him that I went away to study to answer him. And I found that when I studied... I couldn't answer, and so I became a Christian. God turns things for for good. I mean, I suspect my tone wasn't good. I suspect I didn't said things that were wrong. But God turned that round, and He can take God. You see, the point is, God can take the fiercest opposition and turn it round, so that He can take Saul, who's there killing Christians, approving of that, and He can turn him round into someone who, instead of killing Christians is willing to die for Christ. So I do want to say this on the light of what we said this morning as well. Never give up on anybody, no matter how fierce the opposition may be. I mean, that person at work, that person in your family, or whatever, never give up. You will never convince them. You will never convict them or convert them yourself. But you can go and pray for them. And... Uh, Who knows what God can do with that? But may all who seek you, verse 4, rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, 
the Lord is great. My help, my help. He is my help. That's a hugely significant thing. As for me, I am poor and needy, but he is my help. It's a prayer about those who seek God. If you're talking about prayer, one aspect is praying against the Lord's enemies, but here's another aspect, coming before the Lord as a beggar, coming before the Lord as someone who is poor and needy. Those who long for your saving help. Here's the absolute key in this and the absolute key for prayer and the absolute key for going ahead in this year. Do not, under any circumstances, rely on yourself. Don't. I'm talking about relying on other people. You will let yourself down. You know that. Animal said to me, what's your resolution for the year? And I said, I'm going to lose weight. And even as I was saying, I was saying, yeah, right. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But I know that the first time I cycle past that McDonald's and it's still breakfast time, and I'm so praying they don't introduce all-day breakfast, I'll be very tempted just to go in and, well, I know it's only one. You don't rely on yourself. Maybe something as relatively trivial as that. I'm going to be better tempered this year. I'm not going to drink so much. I'm not going to um, work so hard. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Yeah, resolutions are fine. But they're also wrong because you're thinking, I'll do this. I can do this. Mm. It's the ultimate way to, be, to frustrate yourself is to rely on yourself. Sometimes I think we only pray like this when God has to bring us so low that we look and say, there's nothing I can do. I'm stuck. I'm, I'm done. I'm finished. And I think it's almost as though if this is not being irreverent, the Lord says, right, now you get it. That's the point. You can't save yourself. You can't help yourself. What does he do? Those who long for your saving help always say the Lord is great. We turn to God. We turn to him. And as he answers, he is glorified. It's such a liberating perspective to get to that point where you look at all the things that you're planning well I'm I'm thinking of this I'm thinking of that and all the analyzing that you do and all everything that you do and and for me I like reading and thinking a lot about things and saying oh well if we did this and if we did this and we did that do you know the more I go on the more I, I understand the more I go oh the world is just such a mess and we Who's going to save us from ourselves? And that's when we really pray. Oh Lord, save us. I am poor and needy. And that's why that is so liberating. The gospel is good news for the poor. That doesn't necessarily just mean in socioeconomic terms, though it it includes that. And the reason it includes that is because the less you have of the goods of this world, the less you are likely to rely on them. But we are all poor and needy. Sometimes in my family, I'll phone a certain member of my family who shall remain nameless. 
sorry, EJ. And, <laughs> you know, want to talk to her because you like talking to your daughter when she's away and say, or you want to talk to somebody else you, and you phone. And sometimes I hadn't realized that this was an, in, a term of insult amongst the younger generation. Oh, but, oh, you're so needy. You're so needy. You just need to talk to you, need to do this, need to, you're so needy. Um, yeah, actually, that's true. We are all needy. Who of you is going to walk and say, I am not needy. I'm fine. I can look after myself. I've got myself together. I've got, yep, I've, I've got my relationship with God and my relationship with my work colleagues, my relationship with my family, and my view of myself. When I look in the mirror, I go, wow, nothing to change. It's all good. It's all, I'm, I'm, I'm not needy at all. That is not the perspective of the psalmist. It is not the perspective of the apostles. And it absolutely is not the perspective on Christ. Because Christ cried out. John 12, 27. Now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. I don't mean it in an irreverent way at all. But Christ was needy. Christ needed his father's reassurance. He needed the strengthening of the angels. He needed the apostles to be with him. He needed, as John was praying, to be in the temple. I must be in my father's house. Christ, as a human being, had so many needs. And we think, no, thank you. I can be independent. I'm not going to be needy. But we are all desperately needy. And I think if we recognize that, it's a liberating thing for us all. Because we then cry out, come quickly to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. Lord, do not delay. You see how the, the psalm, this very short psalm, begins with, come quickly, God. And it ends with, come quickly, God. I love, as we think about communion, I love thinking about Christ's heart being troubled. That's quite an extraordinary thing, really, isn't it? Because you'd think, well, if anyone had it together, Jesus would. And why would his heart be troubled? Because he would think, well, God has brought me to this hour, and I trust my Father, and you know, I've not committed any sin and all these different things. Of all people, Christ should have been the one who had that kind of Buddhist meditative peace and calm and karma and everything else. What's going to be will be and I'm at peace. But he wasn't at peace. His heart was troubled. And that's why those of you who sometimes wake up in the middle of the night and your heart is troubled, don't let your heart be troubled because your heart's troubled. If you see what I mean, don't think you're a useless Christian because sometimes you're confused and you're upset and you're hurt and you're wounded. See, you're a human being. And like Christ was troubled, you can be troubled as well. And, and I find that personally very, very reassuring. But I also find this. Um, 
Dominic was talking about man's chief end is to glorify God. And he talked about how, if some of you remember this a few weeks ago, he talked about how we've reversed that. We now talk about God's chief end being to glorify man and give us enjoyment forever. But our chief end is to glorify God. And wouldn't that be a great way to enter a new year to pray sincerely and honestly, Lord, whatever happens in this coming year, let me glorify you. Let me enjoy you, yes, but let me glorify you. Don't let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, the actions of my hands, don't let them bring disgrace to your name, but let them bring glory to your name. And you'll note it's not glory to us, but it's glory to him. Sometimes there are people who become Christians because of the Christians that they know, they just go, it has to be real. It has to be real. How can they be like that? And I think in terms of witness and in terms of seeing our world and society turned upside down, which we just need a whole lot more desperate and needy Christians who realize that we just can't do it. But we need Christ to work in our lives in such a way that us as poor and needy sinners are able to glorify him. So I pray, Lord, come quickly because the world is in a mess. I pray that he would return to this world and make all things new. But until that day, when he comes on the, finally, on the day of judgment, I pray that we in our churches and in our homes, in our hearts, would know the renewing grace of the Lord. And may it be that those of us who long for God's saving help would always be able to say, the Lord is great. The Lord, we sang it at the beginning, how great is our God. May it be that we would sing that always because we know it and we feel it and we mean it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this very simple prayer. Thank you that you are the God who turns back our enemies, the one who saves and defends us. Thank you, O Lord, that your people will never be put to shame because you have taken all our guilt and shame. Grant that we would live lives which are worthy of you. And may it be that all who seek you would rejoice and be glad in you. Lord, we don't know and we don't want to know what lies ahead of us in this coming year. But we just simply ask that in all that happens, both good and bad from our perspective, that we would know you with us and that we would be able to see something of your glory being revealed in the lives of your people in this city, in this nation, and throughout your world. Oh my God, do not delay.
Come quickly to us and help us, for we are poor and needy. Amen. We're going to sing before the communion the song, Jesus paid it all. I think for me, um, as I say, I'm always a wee bit self-indulgent the last Sunday of the year, and for me, this song uh, has brought me uh, more or reminded me of more assurance than almost anything else that uh, he has just paid the price for everything that we've done that's wrong. So let's stand and sing. I hear the Savior say. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.